May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Last week in uh, the sermon slot, we looked at the theme of Jesus, our liberator. We looked at uh, this term which we've been using all year uh, in our prayer for the day. We have prayed through Jesus, our liberator, who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit in unity with God the Father. And I wondered what being liberated by Jesus is all about. What are we being liberated into? What are we being liberated from? And we spent some time looking again at all of Matt's Jesus story. In summary, we looked at how after his baptism, Jesus was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit to come to terms with what it meant to be the beloved Son. And after 40 days of prayer and fasting and wrestling with that hard question, he was sorely tested by the tester, the Satan, who suggested that the beloved Son should have all the wealth and power and comfort the world can offer, to which Jesus responds, Be gone, tester, Satan. The beloved Son has come to live the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is not of that way. And then Jesus calls some people who have been engaging with him as he's taught, fishermen and others, and he invited them to follow, to be liberated, to embrace a new identity, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of understanding themselves in relation to the world. And after a short while, he gathered them up a hill, overlooking their world, overlooking Capernaum, overlooking their, where they had fished on the Sea of Galilee. They could probably see their fishing boats from up there overlooking all that they had known of life and how life should be. And gesturing at this world, he invited them to imagine another world, a world where the most important people are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for God's justice, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for the sake of God's justice. He invites them to be liberated from their known world into the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God. This is a world where all flourish. It is a world where the common good is held as paramount, a world where the needs of the poor are placed first, where all, all are treated with honour and respect and given what they need to thrive. And then, well, Matthew uses all of that to kind of tell the rest of the story. And in our telling of the story, we went on to explore the second half of Jesus in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a city built as a symbol of Rome's power and authority. It was built to honor Caesar Augustus, who was entitled Prince of Peace and son of God. It represented all that the Satan, the tester, had often offered Jesus. All that his world and our world deems and deems important and of value. And in this place, Jesus asks, what do people say about me? And what about you? 
what do you say about me? To which Peter responds, you are the anointed one, the Messiah, the liberator. You are the son of the living God, which was a little bit treasonous. You are the one we hope for every time we gather for Passover, reciting the story of Moses. We long for this liberation. We long for the God of our ancestors to hear our groan as he heard their groan. We trust that you are the one to bring it. And then into that hope and anticipation, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem, that he had to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the legal experts, that he had to be killed and on the third day raised. And Peter was having none of that. In his way of seeing the world, there is no liberation in Jesus' death. So he says, Jesus, liberation comes from you leading like Moses, continuing to show us the way. To which Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan, tester. I lead, you follow. Otherwise, you are a stone that could make me stumble. I have already been offered all of that in the wilderness, but that is not the way of liberation. It is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus said to all of his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You must be liberated from the old ways of seeing the world. You need to be liberated into the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God. Remember all that I taught as we sat up that hill overlooking Capernaum. And I wondered what does it mean to be liberated by Jesus, to take up our cross and follow Jesus? What kind of world are we being liberated into? Well, the last few, the last six months at least, have put a particular spin on how we might answer that, hasn't it? What kind of world are we being liberated into? COVID-19 has changed our world, at least for the short term. And it has provided an opportunity for many people to reevaluate how they live their lives. To re-examine what they give value to and prioritise. For some, they are now giving more value to self-care, not working so hard, spending more time looking after themselves and their relationships. And certainly for many, giving a higher place to relationships with family and with others has become very important. We have been liberated in part from our old ways of seeing the world. We have been liberated into some new ways, at least some of us have. And we have been given an opportunity to take up our cross, to let go of some of the ways which we saw as important, some of the ways that we understood our place in the world, and instead we follow Jesus into the kingdom of heaven in some small steps. Paying attention to the relationships is important, an important part of all of that. I was um, reading a book at the moment um, by... Uh, a colleague of mine who uh, mostly writes about youth ministry, but he wrote a book about pastoral relationships. And in this book, he talks about 
how our minds are wired for relationship. They're not wired to be on their own. They are wired in a way that they are able to, well, he puts it this way, get inside the minds of other people. We, our minds spend a lot of time thinking about whether we're aware or not, what other people think of us and how they relate to us because we are communal people. And it's very different from how other animals are communal people, which is very hierarchical. Ours is a much more relational way of being in community. And that comes through in the Gospels, the priority of communal relationships. We can read that today in the Gospel reading we had from Matthew. Living relationships is at the very heart of the way of Jesus, who lived that out even with Judas, who was to betray him, even with Peter, who kept getting it wrong, and even when he got it right, and he sometimes got it a little bit right. To be a follower of Jesus was to be called into relationship, not just with Jesus, but with all those who would follow. All those who would follow. No matter their race, their social stature, their family background, their economic status, their gender. And we can see uh, all the things that would normally divide those people were set to one side. There was a common call into a new way of being with each other, and that common call came first. It's very hard for us to realise how radical that call was or how hard it was to live that out, but we can see it when we look at Paul's writings, for example, where he spends a lot of time talking about that. The whole book of Romans is about how that relationship with each other trumps whether they're Jew or Gentile, whether they adhere strictly to the law or not, whether they're men or female, male or female. We can see it in his letter to Galatians and to the Corinthians. And again, we can see it in what he teaches in Matthew's Gospel. For some, these last few months have offered a chance to also reflect on our place in this, on this planet and to take the learnings from this time and to reduce our carbon footprint. As I said at the beginning of the service, this Sunday is the first Sunday in an annual ecumenical worldwide season of creation. When we join the worldwide Christian family and we join the worldwide Christian family, for the celebration of prayer and action to protect our common home. This year we are invited as followers of Christ from around the globe to reflect on our relationship not only with each other, important as that is, but also with God's creation. And we do that in the shadow of this COVID-19 pandemic. We do that with the warnings of many scientists that this pandemic and the groans of creation under man-made climate change are all symptoms of the same thing. It is a symptom of our broken relationship with this world. And it is a symptom of our rapid unraveling of the web of life that sustains life on this planet. As we, as our actions uh, have an ongoing, increasingly catastrophic effect on biodiversity uh, as uh, the forests of the world, which is actually the theme of the first Sunday, are um, being cut down at alarming rate. Uh, the lungs of the world 
uh, as animals and humans are forced into close approximately with proximity with each other. It's this out of this that our current pandemic has arisen. This is God's creation. That is the main theme of every season of creation. This is God's world. But we in the West have replaced God at the center of the story. And we Western Christians have played a particularly damaging role in that. Rather than seeing creation as God's to delight in and cherish, we have seen this world as ours to use for our own benefit. Rather than seeing this as God's for God's benefit, we see it as ours for our benefit. We have been tested like Jesus by the test of the Satan, and unlike Jesus, we have failed. We have placed our wealth and power and comfort ahead of the needs of our brothers and sisters around the world and, and ahead of the needs of the plants and animals of this world. We have lost the vision of the reign of God as described in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, a world where all flourish, a world where the common good, including the good of all created beings, is held as paramount, a world where the needs of the poor are placed first, and where all, including plants and animals, are treated with honour and respect. And all, including all creation, is given what they need to thrive. This year, the theme for our season of creation is the year of Jubilee. Jubilee comes from the book of Leviticus. It was the 50th year, so it came after seven cycles of seven years. A cycle of seven years was a sabbatical year, uh, and the seventh year were then like a Sabbath, and the seventh day was a day of rest. This is after a cycle of seven years. The 50th year then was a year of rest. Now, it's unclear whether this was ever adhered to, but it holds the promise of a year of, well, reset, really. The Hebrew slaves and prisoners would be freed. Debts would be forgiven. Where land was sold to pay those debts, the land would be returned to the families that initially owned them without any compensation. Uh, the fields were left farrow for a year. Uh, they were not tilled, they were not sown, they were allowed to rest and recoup. It was a, a year, as I said, to reset, to start again, to re-examine what was important and to begin society with a new sense of what it meant to be followers of God. But it was also a year that allowed creation to have a rest, to allow creation to thrive without the demands of humanity. And that's what we need here. We hear, when we hear again the, of Jesus in the Beatitudes, we remind ourselves of our common role or as caretakers of creation. To see that our well-being is interwoven with the well-being of all, including this planet. When we place our well-being first, we are finding out, especially during this time of COVID-19, how destructive that is. It's a wake-up call. It's a chance for us to take stock and to start again. And so we are invited 
to rejoice in this opportunity to care for our common home and the sisters and brothers who share it. So how do we live as individuals and as a community that places relationships first? Our relationships with family, with each other, with our brothers and sisters around the world, and our relationship with this world, God's creation, our common home. This is an election year. Now I wonder how will these issues affect how we vote? I wonder how much time we will take exploring uh, each of the party's manifestos and thinking about how seriously they take these issues of climate change, how seriously they take the issues of how we treat our common home. How will these affect what we vote for and who we vote for? We might need to take some time to think about that. Well, we've got a few more weeks to go, so we have a lot of time to do some research and thinking and praying about that. So as we begin that process, I finish with the words from Pope Francis that he sent out last year at the beginning of the season of creation, and that was sent out again by uh, one of the uh, papal officers to encourage as an invitation to all Catholics to join in this year's season. May this season be a season for letting our prayer be inspired anew, a season to reflect on our lifestyles, and a season for undertaking prophetic actions, calling for courageous decisions, directing the planet towards life, not death. So before we respond to this with the creed, I invite us to pause for a moment and to reflect on the season of creation and all our biblical passage say to that season. <laughs> 